Hello and welcome to PMI's Uncommon Sense podcast, tools to improve your work forever. I'm Susanna Clark, Managing Partner with PMI, the Performance Improvement Consulting and Training Firm. Our Uncommon Sense podcast is a 15-minute conversation with our expert consultants. They talk a lot of common sense, although much of it is not common practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. We want you to be inspired to improve your business through learning more about the tools which can help you succeed and grow. So today I'm delighted to have Sean Buckland joining me for Uncommon Sense. And we're going to talk about quite a rich piece of change today because we're going mm-hmm. to talk about the voice of the customer. This is one of the harder elements, I think, to develop skill set. So when we work with our green belts, we go through all the basic training and it all seems fairly straightforward. And then they go off into their projects. They suddenly find out this is harder than it looks. So where would you start with voice of the customer? Well, ironically, uh, it's who is the customer. That can easily be confusing at times. We've got direct customers, indirect customers, internal customers, external customers, people who think they're customers because they have authority. Voice of the regulator is not necessarily voice of the customer, but sometimes thinks it's even more important and so on and so on. And likewise, we can have customers who don't know their customers. And we can have customers who don't know what they value. So it's a really rich mixture just to even get started. And after we've got the team together, this is one of the first tasks we do is try and find out voice customer. There's a good reason we do it very early on. And that is because until we know what the customer values, we've got no guiding rails to make decisions on. So the critical thing to me when starting voice the customer is having a very, very good discussion about why the process even exists in the first place. And what I often do this by turning it into a negative. If we just stopped running this process, who would be hurt the most by that? Okay. And I find that's a really helpful thing to do. And very often, certainly some of the enabling processes make it very clear that the customers are internal. And we can then ask the question, if the answer is, well, actually, nobody will be hurt, Let's skip the voice of the customer. Let's yeah, just sweep yeah. it off and test yeah. the theory, yeah. which is wonderful when it works. And I have many examples of that from my career when people were just running processes that had no true customer. So that's great because that's the quickest, best project you can run. But you may have the situation where there's one clearly identified primary customer for that process. But you will often, even in that situation, still probably have at least one secondary customer. So, for example, I was working with a marble quarry one time, and the primary customer for the marble quarry were the the big, the basically construction industries, marble mm-hmm. tiling, marble columns, you name it. But they also, while they were quarrying, created an awful lot of waste, you know, scraps of marble, marble dust, and so on. And initially, they were paying to have this just taken away and landfilled. Because they're paying to have it taken away, they weren't necessarily seeing the people they were paying as customers. But if they stopped having the waste taken away, in short order, the quarry would have become unusable. Mm. So there was a customer of the waste marble. 
the fact is that at that point they were paying for it. Now, by the end of the project, we'd found some better customers who would pay <laughs> to come and take the waste away, or at least some of it, because marble yes. waste actually has a lot of intrinsic value within it. But the key point being here is if we hadn't identified the second customer, mm. then we would have missed a significant improvement opportunity. But ultimately, the quarry does not exist to generate waste. It generates you know, value-adding marble, same thing. So once we've identified the customer, we then need to go and talk to them. And I had a recent situation at Greenbelt I was working with who very, 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 very focused, but a little bit shy. And that, that Greenbelt decided instead of talking to their customers, they were going to go and survey their customers. Okay. So what they did is very intelligent, very carefully, went line by line and built a survey. And that survey was going to go out to the customers to ask them, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And I said, okay, now just imagine you've got that filled in. And let's imagine this is good, this is not so good. How are you going to use that data? And their response was, I don't know. And I said, that's right, because at the end of this, you have got a satisfaction survey. You've not got a voice of the customer survey. So well, what's the difference? So satisfaction is how the customer feels at the end of the process. The voice of the customer is what value does the customer need? They will be satisfied if they receive it. They will be dissatisfied if they don't. If you get a perfect satisfaction score, does that mean you're delivering 100% of the value? No, it means you've managed to ask only the questions you get a positive answer to. <laughs> Were they the important ones? Were the chairs comfortable? Yes. Did I like the service? No, I hated it, but the chairs were comfortable. Mm. Yeah, true, real example from one satisfaction survey I had to intervene with. So key point here is, is surveys will only give you answers to the questions you ask, and they will tell you about how people felt about prior service. That's not what you're doing with this at all. What you are in fact doing is trying to get deep into the mind of your customers and the value that they are trying to create. So how would I go about doing this? Well, my preferred way is to go to my customers and watch them using my product or service. Because very often, even they can't fully articulate what they value. But if you see them having to spend two hours unpacking a new, new delivery, because they've been wrapped so tightly and when they're getting out the knives and trying to cut into it, they're damaging the paintwork of the product underneath. And you can feel and see their pain. You go, hmm, maybe we're doing some value destruction here. And that happened to one of our clients recently, Suze. I don't know if you're aware of it, where one of their suppliers had decided to try and fix the problem of parts occasionally arriving broken. So yes. they wrapped each part individually, which meant that the front end of this particular factory line had to slow down to unwrap each part, which limited the capacity of the entire factory by 20% for the sake of a less than 1% failure rate on parts. Mm. Not a good return on investment. They had not understood what they valued. I mean, I absolutely agree with you that customers don't always know what they value and until you get there and see it, you may not be able to see it for yourself. But a lot of people, that's not natural for them, is it? It's not natural for them to go and see. You're right, Suze. People have never even been asked the question, what do you truly value before? No. More often than not. So when I do the interviewing, the, my personal preference is I get my project team together. 
I find one person who's comfortable to do the eye to eye asking the questions like you're doing here, Suze. And then I have a second person whose job it is to write down verbatim everything that they say, mm -hmm. word by word. So they're good at writing in a way that can be read later. And people say to me, oh, why didn't you just record it? Because it, mm. people change the way they speak. It interferes. They start pre-filtering what they say. And that can totally distort it. doesn't for everybody, but why run the risk? This is precious data. Mm. And so writing it down shows you paying attention. Recording it makes the person feel judged, is my opinion. Okay. And like I say, there are many exceptions, but I, I play safe. And the third person, their job is to listen to the, what the person is actually answering to make sure that the lead interviewer hasn't missed things. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by missing things? Here's a really classic example. I say to you, Suze, for example, okay, so you came to my restaurant last night, you know, in terms of your, of your meal, when you come to a restaurant, what are you looking for? And you might say something like... Delicious food. Delicious food. And number two writes down delicious food. And I say, oh, of course. Yeah, delicious food. Number three person says this. Oh, just before we move on, could I just check? Suze, what's delicious for you? So I would say it means I'm really interested in taste. So I like really a strong tasting food. Strong tasting food. Okay, can you give me some examples? And so on. And we'd start heading towards the more measurable. Because mm. at the end of the day, if I can't take the words that you say and convert them into effective measures, mm. I haven't yet completed my definition of value. Because mm. if the definition of value can't be measured, it can't be managed. Why would I run a process where I can't manage it? And why run a process that's not there to deliver value? So this fully circular argument turns around and say, the voice of the customer interview is not completed until you have sufficient detail to be able to measure and then say back to the customer, if I achieved this, this, and this standard, would you come back and order that same meal again? Mm. And then you can validate my interpretation. And nine times out of 10, when I see people getting stuck with voice of the customer, it's because they stopped because they thought they understood what the word delicious was. Yes. Yes. Because do we all have the same definition of delicious? I can promise you the answer is no. No. And sometimes you're just grateful that you've got an answer, aren't you? You've got an answer. And mm. people are just, they're, they're maybe the nerves of the situation, because as you say, people are not comfortable. So but that team working approach allows them to offset some of the risks you just mentioned, Suze, mm. at the same time as making sure that you can pick up the nuances. So this is my next big tip. While you're asking the questions, listen out for when the emotion gets added. So you might say to me, Sean, do you like going to the cinema? I say, yes, I go to the cinema. What did you see recently? Oh, I saw such and such film. And I say, how was it? Yeah, it was fine. And then say, what's the best film? What's your favourite film? Well, let me tell you, <laughs> I've seen yeah. this one 17 times over. <laughs> yeah. Now, both of them was going to the cinema to see a film. Mm. But what my definition of value, entirely different. And it was the non-verbals that makes the difference. We can't truly understand what somebody values without access to the non-verbals. Another reason to stay well clear of the survey. Yes. Even yes. the telephone interview. Now today we've got a lot of video calling which improves things an awful lot, but telephone interviewing was like my worst case fallback position. In the, mm -hmm. You know, if I couldn't go and see them, I'd try and still, still see them face to face in an interview somehow. 
um, for this exact reason. And once you found out what they get emotional about, then you're getting to the heart of what they value. The rest is, if you like, important, but not that set of rails. So that's what I'm always looking for, listening for when I'm with a customer. What is the stuff that they truly get passionate about? And then ideally observe them using it so I can even spot the problems that they've just got used to. And say, you know what, we could come up with a better way of packaging this. Well, you know what, if we just put it in the box the other way around, when you take it out, it's already lined up for your machine. All of these subtle things that nobody would ever think of without actually going and seeing for themselves. Because remember, your customer doesn't know what you can do for them. And you won't do it for them unless you know what you need to do for them. And likewise, you might be doing loads of stuff that you think is adding value and actually it's just pure waste until you've gone and seen. So to my mind, voice of the customer exercise is a really, really critical engagement. It's a relationship tool. So how do I always finish my voice of the customer interviews? Number one, I'll probably have missed some bits and pieces. We've had a very large conversation. You okay for me to come back and, and if I've missed anything important? Yeah, good. Two, are you okay once I've come up with, some, you know, obviously I'm talking to other customers, a variety of customers. Once I think I've got the best definition, you know, I'd like you to come and tell me how you feel about that definition, because that's what we'll use to manage whether or not we're successfully working for you going forwards. Are you happy to do that? Yes. By getting those two yeses, then it means that later on when I'm looking for my redesign and I say, you know what, could you get involved in some trials? We're testing some new ideas they will feel part of the process. They'll understand why they were being... A... So instead of being, oh, these people don't know what they're doing and they want to test it out on me, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm part of this exciting project to improve value for me. It's the what's in it for them. And that can buy you a lot of air cover while you're going through changes to make improvements. Even if the start point is you've got a screaming customer who's getting fed up with everything, sometimes it can buy you two or three months of grace. Mm while you tidy things up behind the scenes, because they now feel some level of control over what's happening. So it's a very, very powerful engagement relationship tool, as well as a great source of data, an essential source of data. And that's pretty much it, really. Yeah. And inspirational. When I've seen people after Voice to Customer interviews, they are so inspired by what they now know. Yeah, absolutely agree. It is really motivational. Brilliant. Sean, as ever, fantastic to talk to you. Thank you for today. Thanks, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find more episodes of our Uncommon Sense Tools to Improve Your Work Forever in our Knowledge Hub on our website or, of course, your favourite podcast platform. And do subscribe so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode where you'll find links to more content on this topic which includes webinar recordings, toolbox guides, blogs, and infographics, and our training page. You can always drop us a line on team at pmi.co.uk and arrange a time to have a call to talk about how these tools can help you in your organization. We'd really love to hear from you.